Hello, you're listening to Repent and Believe Podcast with Cynthia Smalls, founder of Back to God Ministries. Welcome, my friends. Here, we talk about and teach the message of Jesus Christ, the only one who can claim the title of Savior of the world. We also discuss all things repentance and belief in Jesus Christ and how all these things tie into living a lifestyle where our deeds are manifested and fashioned in God so that we may be molded by the Father into vessels to be used for His glory. Amen? Amen. Okay, so let's get started. Hey everyone, before we get started, I like to say thank you for tuning in. And if you enjoy my podcast, please share, download, leave me a message or comment. Thanks, guys. Hello, everyone. This is Cynthia Smalls with Back to God Ministries. How is everyone doing today? I pray that all is well in your lives, that you are walking by faith and not by sight. You, my friend, are to never give up on the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. All right, y'all. We got a whole lot to talk about today because the big question on the floor is, why does God hate sin? It should be quite obvious, but believe it or not, people cannot understand why God hates their ungodly behavior. So we're going to talk about that today because we all know that God is love. We see that in the Holy Scriptures. God is love. And he demonstrated that love by sending the world, his only begotten son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die for the sins of the people. But then what happens when you reject God? What happens when you deny his very existence? Because the world and some deceived quote-unquote Christians, want you to believe that God loves the sinner but hates the sin. On his face, that may sound holy and, and noble of God, but guess what? God never said that. It's not in his word nor is it ever implied that he loves the sinner. Although he hates sin, but he hates the one who continues to make a lifestyle of ungodliness. Now, you know, that don't make any kind of sense. And we're going to see from scripture today, because the person who made that quote is Gandhi. Gandhi was a Hindu worshiper. He idolized false gods. He made a statement among the many that were anti-Christ. Namely, one, he said that 
Jesus Christ is not the only begotten Son of God. Look it up, folks. So, we know that those who have called on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved, we are commanded to live sensible, clean, holy, and godly lives in Christ Jesus, being led by God's Holy Spirit. And just like with yesterday's podcast, we talk about this progressive sanctification that the saints are in. Our goal via the Holy Spirit is to become more and more like Christ. Where we get to know the Father better and better and we can now fully appreciate the fear of the Lord because we see that he hates evil workers of iniquity. And we're going to talk about what is iniquity because iniquity, sin, and and trespasses are different. So, like I said, we are commanded to stop sinning. John 8, 11, Jesus told the woman who was caught in the very act of adultery to go, comma, and sin no more. And he told the man whom he had healed, he had something going on with his feet and Jesus healed him. And then afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well, sin no more, comma, that nothing worse may happen to you. And that's John 5, 14. 1 John 3, 6, <clears throat> excuse me, and tells us that no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Romans 6, 1 through 2 says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue to sin that grace may abound? Absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Amen. We don't. And that is where we seem to miss it. It's like everybody wants to go to heaven, but no one wants to put away their sins. And so the ungodly, because at one time we were counted among the ungodly, but we heard the gospel. That Christ Jesus died for our sins on that cross. And that he was buried. And on the third day, God, by the power and working of the Holy Spirit, raised Jesus from the dead. When Jesus died on the cross, he abolished. He absolutely destroyed the power and 
dominance that sin had over us our whole entire lives. Jesus died a sinner's death. Although, although he was sinless and perfect. Jesus exchanged places with us. He gave us his righteousness. We gave him our sin. The great exchange took place on that cross. Jesus loved us so much that he was willing to lay down his life for us. Going through the the shame, the scoffing and mockery while hanging up there on the cross, he suffered. He was beaten to a bloody pulp. All y'all got to do is read Isaiah 52. It talks about how Jesus was so mutilated and so disfigured after being whipped with a cat of nine tails by the Roman soldiers that he did not look even human. When the people saw Jesus hanging up there on the cross, the Bible says that they were appalled. That means they were horrified at what they were looking at. This can't possibly be a man. The Bible says that he was so disfigured and and mutilated that no man has ever looked and will ever look so disfigured as the Son of God hanging up there, dying, taking our rightful place. We should have been up there on the cross. Every bit of that lake of fire should be in our future, but for the love of God. He was willing to smite his only begotten son so that we don't face his wrath to come. So absolutely, yes, we are to live sensible, clean, holy, and righteous lives. Jesus did not die in vain. The ungodly, on the other hand, they need to repent. Yesterday, I'm out and about. As they say, the highways, the byways, and the hedges. I told y'all about these signs I have, right? (laughs) These signs are, are huge. It's all about visual evangelism. I live in an area of Texas that is both rural and a little bit commercial, a lot residential. I don't live in a a densely populated area where I can get me a soapbox and just preach on the streets. And people will mill around to listen. So I have to go where traffic is. So I have these signs. (laughs) I have these signs. So yesterday, real quick, I'm down at this major 
a crossroad. It's kind of like a busy mini highway intersection, if you will. And right there on a the corner is this Exxon, Exxon um, gas station. So I park my car over there and then I go out to the, I guess you want to say the sidewalk, right? So I'm there holding my sign, you know, preaching the gospel through visual aids. And then I see this man off to the side, like sitting behind my car, like on the concrete. Now, my vehicle, <laughs> if you thought these signs were something, y'all should see my car. Okay, because again, visual evangelism. I visually preach the gospel every time I get into my car. I got these car magnets on them saying sinners will not inherit the kingdom of God. And I list those sins according to 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10. So I got them everywhere on the car. So this this guy, this this man is sitting like he's looking at the rear of my car because on the back windshield I got you know Jesus saves uh repent or perish and then I quote Luke 13 3 so he's like acting really strange because I'm wondering why is he sitting on the ground number one and right behind my car and then he just like starts manifesting and I'm like all right Lord here we go we finna cast out a demon right here at the Exxon gas station. I'm ready to go to work, right? So I'm watching, I'm watching, and then he's just acting really odd. So I'm waiting for the Holy Spirit to say, go, okay? Because we never want to move without the Holy Spirit telling us, because I'm telling y'all, I was ready to cast this demon out because it's clearly he's manifesting something because apparently the gospel is speaking to him from my car. And then he's, so I'm watching at the same time, I'm holding my sign, right? So I'm watching, he's going all around the car, pointing to all the uh, signs I have on the car. It was like that demon in him was going bananas. I mean, it was so odd. And I'm like, all right, Holy Spirit, I'm ready. <laughs> Say the word. And we're going to go over here and cast this demon out. Get this man delivered. So, lo and behold, long story short, he's acting really odd around the vehicle and everything. He goes into the little mini mart they got there. Then he comes out do some more pointing out my car, go back, like all of this odd behavior. And so while that was going on traffic, you know, cause I still got my sign. Then someone yells, this young person, I, I, I want to say a teenager, could be like 19, right? Yelling from the car, manifesting something, right? And I'm like, look, listen, y'all, one demon at a time, all right? I don't know what he was screeching from the window of the truck, but I can only presume it has something to do with this sign and everything. And so I'm like, yeah, the ungodly is out and about. And not only that, another gentleman, he was, he was at the light. And at the last minute, 
he wants to shout out the window that how we are all sinners and the ungodly love to say that I, it must be some playbook in hell that the go-to screeching is we all sinners because by him saying that what what he really was saying was that I'm judging him and we all are sinners we we all have something so it's not really right for you to tell us as a fellow sinner right because according to him we we are all sinners and that it's not right for me to judge him when in fact myself I'm a sinner as well and so I kindly replied that is why we all must be born again and then he went on his way yeah because see you have to shut that down because people are under the impression that even even though when we come to Christ we are still sinners even professing Christians believe that they are still a sinner where are they getting this information all we have to do is study Romans 6 among the many books in the New Testament now that Christ has died, he abolished the controlling grip and mastery that sin had over us. So absolutely not. We are not sinners. Not if you have truly, truly repented with, with godly sorrow and you are born again. You are striving to live the straight and the narrow. So, like I said, we got a lot to get to today, but let us pray. Father, in the name of Christ Jesus, we love you and we thank you for sending us a Savior. We hallow your name, Father. We ask for help and grace to walk this wonderful new life out in Christ Jesus. No longer do we want to be a child of disobedience. We want to be a child of the living God, listening to our Father, being disciplined by our Father. We welcome discipline. We don't want to get ourselves all tangled up in iniquity all over again, going back to a lifestyle of sin. Father, over here in Psalms 37, you say at verse 37, Mark the blameless man who is spiritually complete and behold the upright who walks in moral integrity. There is a good future for the man of peace. Why? Because a life of honor blesses one's descendants. As for the transgressors, verse 28, I mean verse 38, as for transgressors, they will be completely destroyed. The future of the future of the wicked will be cut off. 
but the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their refuge and stronghold in the time of trouble. The Lord helps them and rescues them. He rescues them from the wicked and saves them. Why? Because they take refuge in him. Glory be to God, Father. That is why we absolutely love your word. It keeps the guardrails tight in our lives. We see that we should not envy anything of the ungodly. No matter if they are successful, no matter if they are rich, no matter if they seem to be living their best lives ever, if they do not repent, their eternal, eternal future is grim. You tell us in Revelation chapter 20 that if your name has not been found written in the Lamb's book of life, you will be thrown into the lake of fire. And Father, we know from your word that the lake of fire is the second death. Father, we give you much glory that the gift of God is eternal life. And this eternal life is found in your son, Christ Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you for wisdom to teach today's lesson. Thank you for hearts that are at peace in you. Thank you for making a way for us to be made right with you. And that is through Christ Jesus, who humbled himself even to death on the cross. We are to follow Christ Jesus in absolute obedience to you. That's our new way of life. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters that we remain on the straight and narrow path that leads to eternal life. And I pray for the lost, that the Lord of the harvest, Christ Jesus, continues to send out his laborers, his messengers, to preach this wonderful gospel that we don't have to die in our sins because you have made a way for sinful, ungodly man to be made right with you. And that is faith in your son who laid down his life for us. In Jesus' name I pray Amen. Amen. All right, folks. So let us start off again by reading Titus. Because remember yesterday how we were talking about what is ungodliness? Apparently, apparently the Holy Spirit got me stuck on the ungodly and what it means and how we need to avoid this lifestyle. So, Titus 2, 11 to 15, but namely, starting at verse 12. 
it teaches, talking about God's amazing, remarkable, undeserved grace, right? That brings salvation to all men because Jesus showed up. The kingdom of God, it showed up. Amen. Verse 12, Titus 2. It teaches, talking about his grace, it teaches us to reject ungodliness and worldly and moral desires and to live sensible, upright, and godly lives. Lives with a purpose that reflects spiritual maturity in this present age, awaiting and confidently expecting the fulfillment of our blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who willingly gave himself to be crucified on our behalf to redeem us and purchase our freedom from all wickedness, people, and to purify for himself a chosen and very special people to be his own possession, who are enthusiastic for doing what is good. Amen. And then if we slide over here to Titus 3, where it says, starting in verse 3, For we too once were foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved, to various sinful desires and pleasures, spending and wasting our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But when the goodness and kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared in human form as the man, Jesus Christ, he saved us, not because of any works of righteousness that we have done, but because of his own compassion and mercy by the cleansing of the new birth, spiritual transformation, regeneration, and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out richly upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior so that we would be justified, made free of the guilt of sin. Amen. Because, folks, we were all guilty of the charges. Amen. So, by his compassionate, undeserved grace, and that we would be acknowledged as acceptable to him and made heirs of eternal life, actually experiencing it according to our hope, his guarantee. This is a faithful and trustworthy saying and concerning these things, I want you to speak with great confidence so that those who have believed God, that is those who have trusted in, relied on, and accepted Christ Jesus as Savior will be careful to participate in doing good and honorable things. These things are excellent in themselves and profitable for the people. Amen. So, we do not want to be counted among the workers of iniquity. So, 
what is iniquity and what does the Bible has to say about it because all this ties into why God hates sin. So listen, what is iniquity? Well, the Bible uses words such as iniquity, transgression, and trespass to indicate levels of disobedience to God. They are all characterized as sin. Micah 2.1 says, Woe to those who devise wickedness and work evil on their beds. When the morning dawns, they perform it because it is in the power of their hand. Amen. So, the Hebrew word used most often for iniquity means guilt, worthy of punishment. Iniquity, now, now hear this, because I found this most fascinating, right? Iniquity is sin at its worst. Iniquity is premeditated continuing and escalating uh-huh and that is why i i often say we cannot be in willful practicing blatant deliberately sin we cannot because that is a lifestyle of iniquity so when we flirt with sin, we fall for the lie that we can control it. But like a cute baby monkey can grow to be a wild, out-of-control primate, sin that seems small and, and harmless at first can take control before we know it. Yeah, because James, look, hold on. What's this, Titus? Let's, let's come on over here to James because we see the progression of sin in James. Hold on. Second Peter, go back first. Peter, go back. Titus, no. Hebrews, one second. Hold on. At the Hebrews comes James, don't it? I can get to it. And again, I... Y'all know I apologize for all this page turning, right? Let's find out where it talks about sin. Yep, here we go. Starting at verse 4 of James 1, it says, But each one is tempted when he is dragged away, enticed, and baited. Y'all, I'm reading out of the Amplified today. Look, and what it says? And baited. To commit sin by his own worldly desire, lust, and passion. Then when the illicit desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. Because folks, it all starts in the mind. And when sin has run its course, it gives birth to death. Amen. Look, verse 16. Do not be misled. Hold on. What I say? I said James. I'm sorry. James 14. Not 4. 
I circled 14, but apparently the one got got written over. So James 1 verse 14. Did I? Yeah. James 1. James 1 verse 14. Take it to verse 16. Where it ends, do not be misled, my beloved brothers and sisters. Amen. So we see sin's progression because when we give ourselves over to a sinful lifestyle, we are committing iniquity. That is why we must become familiar with these terms. We are committing iniquity when we when we start to cultivate a lifestyle of sin. Sin has become our God, little g, rather than the Lord. Romans 6, 14. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. So I pray that you will never, ever say again, we can't help but to sin. It is so impossible to stop sinning. Well, number one, that's a lie. Number two, you sound like a slave to sin. You sound like someone who has not been set free from sin by Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. I will advise that you go sit with the Lord and re-examine where you are in the faith. Because we just read, what is this? 1 John 3, 4. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practice lawlessness. Look, sin is lawlessness. 1 John 3, 6. No one who abides. That means remain in Jesus. Not going back to the vomit, not loving this world, being separated from this world unto God. No one who abides in him, guess what, keeps on sinning. Yes, we may miss the mark, but we don't make a lifestyle once again of smoking the weed. You may have a slip up. Go on, smoke a little weed. And then you're like, well, hold on, wait a minute. What am I doing? You get on your hands and knees and you repent. And you forever say, I'm never going back to that. Unlike some who wants to take God's grace as a license to sin, figure, well, once saved, always saved. God must forgive me because of 1 John 1, 9. Nope, that's you taking God's grace as a license to sin, you believe the lie from the fake phony pastor that you have eternal security and that you can stay smoking your weed and still get to heaven somehow, some way, because God is love. Folks, John just told us, do not be misled because sin is progressive and it will always lead to death. Physical death and more terrifying spiritual death over here. 
Revelation 20 in this lake of fire. Uh-huh. So now look. When we realize we have sinned, we have a choice. We can see it for the evil it is and repent. When we do, we find the forgiveness and cleansing of our God. Jeremiah 33, 8. I will cleanse from them all the guilt of their sin against me, and I will forgive all the guilt of their sin and rebellion against me. Amen. And that's that's the beauty and the love of God. He will forgive you of your sins. But guess what? You must stay out of it. Once you repent of your sins, that is not and and you have and you have received forgiveness. That is not a license for you to stay in sin just because God has forgiven you through the shed blood of Jesus. Listen, you cannot make a mockery of the cross. Hebrews 10:26 tells us that if you deliberately keep on sinning, you have now recultivated that iniquitous lifestyle that we were delivered and saved from. But you thought God was playing. Okay. Okay. Listen. Or we can harden our hearts and go deeper into that sin until it defines us. Do you really want to be considered a wee head and you appear professing Christ, and worse yet, you are teaching God's word. But then, once you turn off the mic, once you close that church door, there you go, smoking weed. Come on now, stop it. Listen, partial lists of iniquities are given in Galatians five nineteen to 21, where it lists, the works of the flesh. So let's read it so that we are not misled about what sin is. You do not want to cultivate this lifestyle again. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, that's that fornication. Impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, Fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and 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 thing and things like these. I warned you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Amen. So we see a similar list. And 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10, look. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexual immoral nor idolaters, that's all your weed smokers there, they love to idolize that weed plant. That is sorcery, folks. Anything that manipulates your mind, quote-unquote, taking you to another level, that's sin. Nor adulterers. That includes all of these adulterous remarriages. Folks, in short, if your first covenant spouse is still alive, 
and you and you have divorced them and you remarry while they are still alive, Jesus says that that remarriage is adulterous. Why? Because of that first covenant, that one flesh union that God says that no man shall put asunder in the eyes of God who whose eyes only matters, you are still married to that first spouse who is still alive. So what? You have two and three civil marriages. Uh-uh. That first marriage is only, that first covenant vow is only fulfilled when one of the partners dies. So if you, if you have remarried, and you say you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, you need to repent and come out of that adulterous remarriage because no adulterer will inherit the kingdom of God. And it also says no men who practice, no, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Amen. These are sins that become so consuming that a person can be identified by that lifestyle. Again, you don't want to be, to be named um, a fornicator, a murderer, a liar, a thief, a harlot. Come on now. No. The, the psalmist distinguished between sin and iniquity when they asked God to forgive both. Listen, Psalms 32, 5. I, I acknowledge my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Amen. Psalms 38, 18. I confess my iniquity. I am sorry for my sin. Psalms 51, 2. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Psalms 85, 2. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sin. Amen. Because folks, listen, if we, if we continue to choose sin, our hearts harden toward God, toward God. One sin leads to another and iniquity begins to define our lives as it did when David sinned with Bathsheba. All you got to do is read 2 Samuel 11 verses 3 to 4 because David's initial sin of lust resulted in a hardening of his heart and his sin deepened. He committed adultery See this progression, right? Then, then he had Bathsheba's husband killed. And we see that in verses 14 to 15 of 2 Samuel 11. Iniquity had taken over King David's life. It was only when confronted by the prophet Nathan that he repented with great sorrow. His heartfelt cry for forgiveness is detailed in Psalms 51 because folks, if you ever want to know 
how to offer up a prayer of repentance to the Lord of your sin. Read Psalms 51. David poured out his heart. He woke up. Amen. Because verse 2 of Psalms 51 says, Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Amen. King David is a picture of someone who clearly understood the progression of iniquity and who experienced the mercy and forgiveness of God. Amen. Read, read y'all Psalms 103 verses 1 through 5. It'll bless you. The second half of Romans 1 outlines the progression of sin in verses 10 to 32. The end result for those with such hardened hearts is that God turns them over to a reprobate mind. In verse 28, and they no longer have the desire or ability to repent. Reprobate means thoroughly depraved given over to evil until the conscience is seared folks you do not you do not ever want god to turn you over to your depraved mind because you don't want to stop sleeping around you don't want to give up that 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 uh um, homosexual lesbian lover you don't want to stop killing you don't want to stop lying you don't want to stop deceiving being a swindler and con man you don't want to stop being envious and jealous and bitter you want to stay playing the harlot you want to st- you want to stay sleeping around with every tom dick and harry you don't want to come out of adultery You don't want to stop taking his name in vain. You don't want to stop mocking and scoffing the cross, believing that you can do what you want because you have, quote unquote, eternal security. Listen, God will turn you over. He will turn you over to a reprobate mind, thoroughly depraved, given over to evil. Until your conscience is so seared, you don't believe what you're doing is sin. In fact, thank you, Holy Spirit. In fact, you believe you have a right. (laughs) That you have a right to that sin. You feel and believe in your mind so hard that you have a right to love who you want to love. If that's the same sex, so be it. If it's someone else's spouse, so be it. If it's an animal, so be it. Folks, you do not want God to turn you over to your evil desires. So can't we see why God hates sin? Folks, the scripture is clear that God forgives even iniquity. But if we persist... If we persist in it, we will reap the wages of sin, which is eternal separation from God. And you know, we see that in Romans 6.23. So, 
Why does God hate sin? Well, we know that God hates sin because it is the very antithesis of his nature. It goes in direct opposite of who God is. The psalmist describes God's hatred of sin this way. In Psalms 5, 4, okay, for you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness. No evil dwells with you. So how can we say on any day of the week that God loves the sinner but hates the sin? The Bible tells us that God hates both the one who stays in sin and reject his son, and he hates sin. Folks, he hates sin because he is holy. That is why God hates sin. Holiness is the most exalted of all his attributes. Isaiah 6.3 and one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Amen. Revelation 6, 8. And I looked and behold a pale horse and its rider's name was death and Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. Folks, we talking about the seven-year tribulation here. God will judge sin and he will judge his enemies. This is so not a game. It is not funny. Folks, for real, study the book of Revelation. That is not a book to be avoided. That is not a book to be uh, scared of. It is actually a love letter to the church. God will deal with his enemies and he has appointed a man to this task, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the proof of it that excuse me that Jesus is that judge because God raised Jesus from the dead and rightly so he is the only man that has ever been and will ever be perfect on this earth that is why he has every right to judge he has every right to be the savior and lord of all amen and when he finished his work at the cross, when he ascended back into heaven, God has given Jesus all authority. All authority is now invested in Christ Jesus. So we do not want to reject the only one that can save you from this coming wrath listed in the book of Revelation. Read, read those Old Testament uh, prophets. They all spoke about this coming day. They all say in that day. In that day, 
such and such, such and such. In that day, yeah, the coming day of wrath, folks, it is nearer than we once believed. That is why we must repent and turn to God and stop playing with all of these church games, word games. We need to really understand that once we come to Christ, sin no longer is your master. Christ Jesus is. Listen, God's holiness totally saturates his being. So what makes you think that he loves those who are in direct opposition to who he is? He demonstrated his love for mankind by sending us a savior. And I'm being repetitive for a reason because the ungodly and the deceived backslidden Christian wants wants God to love them even in their sins because he's love. Folks, let me tell you something. God's judgment is love also. If you didn't know, now you know. Thank you, Holy Spirit. His judgment is love. Folks, His holiness is the epitome of His moral perfection and His absolute freedom from blemish of any kind. Look, Romans Romans 9 14 says, but shall, but no, no. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. Psalms 89 35. Once for all, I have sworn by my holiness. I will not lie to David. Amen. See, see God's nature. It is all about holiness. He don't lie. He doesn't tempt anyone to sin. God is holy, righteous, and just. Psalms 92, 15. To declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock. And there is no unrighteousness in him. Amen. So again. Can you can you say with a straight face that God loves the the sinner who has not repented, who has not come to the cross to have their sins forgiven? They have denied his existence. They they continue to live in their in their willful blatant practicing lawlessness, living a lifestyle of iniquity refuses, refuses to confess sin because they believe they are not in sin, but I'm still going to go to heaven because God is love. They are greatly deceived. Don't fall for the lie. Don't fall for this trap. Folks, you are commanded to live holy. God says, be holy for I am holy. Amen. So the Bible presents God's attitude towards sin with strong feelings of hostility, disgust, and utter dislike. 
if God turned his back on Jesus because he made him to be sin. So you mean to tell me that he loves you more than he loves Jesus? You mean to tell me that he had to banish Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden because now they are in sin, but but God still loves you, right, sinner man? Folks, we need to stop it. We need to confess sin. We need to turn our lives over to God because although, yes, for the one thousand time he is love but he is not going to tolerate a sinner man a sinner woman no day of the week when they reject what he has done for them think about it in the natural as much love as you pour on someone you are always there for them You literally give the shirt off your back to them. And yet, in spite of that, they continue to spit in your face, trample over your love, trample over all the things that you have done for them. Do you really think that you will continue to love this person even when they tell you to your face, get away from me, I don't love you, I don't want you? Well, how much more so do you do you expect God to respond to the one who does not respond to his love? No, he hates, he hates workers of iniquity. Folks, check the playlist. You may have to go way down because I did a teaching on whether or not God loves the sinner man. And I list a ton of scriptures to rebuff those who say that God loves them in their sin anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So anywho... For example, sin is described as putrefying sores, a heavy burden, defiling filth, a binding debt, darkness, and a scarlet stain. Write these scriptures down, folks, because I don't have time to go through all of them. Write Isaiah 1 6, Psalm 38 4. Titus 1 15, 2 Corinthians 7 1, Matthew 6 12 through 15, 1 John 1 6, and Isaiah 1 18. Because, folks, in closing, God, God hates sin for the simple reason that sin separates us from Him. Isaiah 59 2 says, But your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear you. Isaiah 13, 11. Now listen up. I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. So if God loves the sinners, then why, why is he going to punish them if he loves them so much? 
I will punish I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will put an end to the pomp of the arrogant and lay low the pompous pride of the ruthless. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's the same God you said that loves you even in your sin. Okay. Jeremiah 5:25. Your iniquities have turned these away and your sins have kept good from you. So you want to wonder why things are going bad in your life? God tells us that the, the way of the righteous, I mean, the way of the wicked is hard. It's hard. No wonder you can't catch a break. Check out the sin in your life and repent and turn to God. Amen. Folks, it was sin that caused Adam and Eve to run away from God and hide among the trees of the garden. Genesis 3.8 Sin always brings separation, doesn't it? Yup. And the fact that God hates sin means, means that can't get it out, folks. The fact that God hates sin means that he hates being separated from us. Mm-hmm. Because in his love, he wanted us to come to Christ Jesus. But then what happens when you tell him no? His love demands restoration, which in turn demands holiness. Amen. <laughs> You cannot come to Christ and, and still think you get to stay in your willful sin. Folks, what comes with coming to Christ? Because he told us that, that if we want to follow him, we must do what? Pick up our cross, deny that flesh, and come follow him. He said to deny yourself and then come follow him. Because God also hates sin because of its subtle deceitfulness, which entices us to focus on worldly pleasure to the exclusion of God's blessings. Those who have their sins forgiven can say, you will fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. And that's Psalm 1611. To pursue sin is to turn your back on the gifts of God who has plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in the future. Jeremiah 29 11. But folks, let us not get this twisted because these false prosperity preachers, these false teachers that teaches that damnable prosperity gospel love, 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 love to pull out scriptures like this and say, see, God will bless you. See, he, he has plans that, that give you a hope in the future for the one who stays in him. And that's, 
That's the whole crux of all of God's blessing. If you are in willful sin, do not, do not expect to get what is in his hand. It don't work like that, folks. That is why you, you still are in depression. That is why you are still going crazy. That is why you still can't catch a break. That is why you have ulcers and headaches and back aches and foot pains and everything else is not going right for you. Check the sin in your life. Amen. You are not going to receive his love when you when you stay in your sins because what's going to happen is that he is going to turn you over to your depraved desires and lust to the point where your conscience is so seared that you can't even repent you will no longer have that capacity that's how far into the pit you have put yourself. Amen. And another reason, right? Because this was the big time question on the floor. Why God hates sin? Well, he hates it because it blinds us to the truth. Jesus likened false teachers to blind leaders of the blind. We see this in Matthew 15, 14. John said that no one who hates his brother does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. Sin has consequences, which the sinner often disregards. Oh yeah, look, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. That's Galatians 6, verse 7. Yep, Numbers 32, 23. But if you will not, no, but if you will not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord. And be sure your sin will find you out. Folks, God hates sin for the same reason that light hates darkness and truth hates a lie. God wants his children to have the full riches of complete understanding. And that's Colossians 2.2. And sin only gets in the way. It only gets in the way. And he hates it because it also enslaves us and will eventually destroy us. Can't we see God does not want you to be in sin? Don't be mistaken about his love because his love is also his wrath. And he will not deal with those who reject Christ Jesus. He will punish them. He pushes away the proud those who want to be arrogant and stay in their sin, believing that they are a good person and they deserve to go to heaven anyway. Folks, 
just as Samson's sin led to his physical blindness and, and captivity, because we see this in Judges 16.21, well, our sin will lead to spiritual blindness and bondage. Look, Romans 6.16 says, Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. Mm -hmm. Listen, God is the source of life. And he will extend that life eternally to all who believe. Sin is a barrier to our reception of eternal life. And that is one reason why God hates sin. He hates it because it lessens our love for him. The Bible says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. 1 John 2, 15-16 James warns us. He warns us of the danger of embracing the world. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. James 4.4 4. No one can serve two masters. Jesus told us that in Luke 16, 13, and we must choose between sin and righteousness. Folks, I'm going to leave y'all with these last two paragraphs. Let me see how much time we working with. Okay, I'm going to leave y'all with these last two paragraphs that we must consider as believers. We should hate sin as does God. We are sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. And that's First Thessalonians 5.5. 5. We must recognize that God has set us apart. We are a holy nation. A people belonging to God. And that's First Peter 2.9. We cannot. We cannot become holy on our own. But God gives us his Holy Spirit to sanctify us. Second Thessalonians 2.13 tells us. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you brothers beloved by the Lord because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the spirit and belief in the truth amen we have his promise that he will help us in our struggle against sin first Corinthians 1 8 who will sustain you to the end guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, 
We hate sin because it separates us from God. That's why you ought to hate it as much as he does. We hate it because it lessens our love and dulls our conscience. Because it binds us and blinds us. We hate it because it grieves the spirit of God. Look, Ephesians 4.30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Folks, listen. We ain't got this in the bag yet. We are being perfected. We are being saved through the awesome work of the Holy Spirit. And it is called sanctification. We are being separated from this world. No longer loving it. No longer being a part of it. Even though we are in the world. We are called not to be of the world. Amen. Our prayer to God is may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's 1 Thessalonians 5.23 because folks, how we ought to be living until Jesus returns. We are to live. Let's go. Come back over here to Titus. Come on. Let's go on and get Titus down deep down in our spirits. Come on. Let's go back. Right. Titus 2. Titus 2.12. This is how we ought to be living. We are to reject ungodly ungodliness. Which is all about being polluted with sin, cultivating a lifestyle of iniquity. Because it's one thing when you stumble, you get up, you repent, confess it, God will forgive you. Boom. But then it's a whole nother thing when you just rolling in it. This, this is now your lifestyle. This is what people know you by. They know you by being the weed man, being the coke head, being the fallen down drunk, being the club chaser, skirt chaser, you know what else chaser. Now folks, we are to live sensible, upright and godly lives, living with a purpose that reflect spiritual maturity. Amen. Amen. So that is why, that is all why God hates sin. Mm -hmm. To the glory of God, I pray that you and I stay out of sin. At one time, we were enemies of our creator. But through Christ Jesus, we have now been made right with him. So we walk this life out, this born again, renewed mindset. We walk it out through the yielding to the Holy Spirit, being consecrated to God, being separated from this sick, dying, nasty, stinking world, and now walking with God. Amen. Amen. Father, in the name of Christ Jesus, thank you so much for your word today.
We know you hate sin. It it separates us from you. It causes us to walk in darkness and, and blindness. It causes us to be bounded up and enslaved again to sin. You have set us free. Jesus said, if the son has set you free, then you are free indeed. You tell us that those who have your seed in us, we, we cannot go on sinning. Father, I pray. I pray for my brothers and sisters that they come out of sin, that they no longer justify it and defend it. And I pray that you do not turn them over to a reprobate mind. Father, may we always stay in your love. Lord Jesus, may we always abide in you. We don't want to be broken off withered branches, broken off from our source, our vine, our creator, our God, our Lord and Savior. To do what? Turn back to the world? This world will eat us up and won't blink an eye. Because at the end of the day, Father, your word will stand. Let God be true and every man a liar. Thank you, Father. Bless your holy name. Thank you for your grace and your mercy and your compassion and for your judgment. Thank you that you are saving us. Thank you that when Jesus returns, we shall have eternal life. We shall have glorified bodies. But in the meantime and between time, we shall live lives that are sensible, upright, godly, and rejecting all ungodliness and worldly and moral desires. Father, I pray that today's lesson brought you glory. In Jesus' mighty name, I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, folks. Well, there we have it. There we have it. Another one in the can. Repent and believe. Stop sinning. Stop it. It ain't worth you going to that lake of fire ever. Folks, I can't shout and scream this enough. We must obey God. And if we find that we, had, we have missed it in any area, repent immediately. Confess to God. You right. I'm, I'm wrong. I missed this. You right. I should have been listening. I don't want to be disobedient. I don't want your your judgment to come against me. Forgive me. I repent. I'm never going back to that. I want to remain in your love. So stop it, folks. God and his son paid a dear price for our freedom. Don't let it be in vain. Amen. Amen. Lord willing. Until next time, I shall be speaking to you all soon. Bye for now. Thank 
you guys for tuning in. I truly appreciate all your support. Until next time, I'll be talking to y'all soon. Bye.